Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to New Books and Psychoanalysis, a podcast channel of the New Books Network. My name is Philip Lance, and I'm a host of the channel. Today, I'm interviewing Giuseppe Civitarese about his book, An Apocryphal Dictionary of Psychoanalysis. Dr. Civitarese lives in Pavia, Italy. He's written many books and published dozens of articles in all the best journals. He's among the most prominent and influential psychoanalytic thinkers, writers, and speakers in the world today. And I think I I can say a founding theorist of what is known as the post-Bionian field theory school. I've also, I think, heard it called the Pavia school. So maybe we'll hear more about that. But welcome to the program, Dr. Civitarese. Hi, Philip. Thank you. Thank you very much for your kind uh, presentation and for giving me this uh, this possibility. Well, thank you, because this was really one of the more delightful books I've read for a while and, and quite different, um, quite an experience. So, uh, so why don't you maybe tell us, this is different than the books you've written before, and maybe you, we usually start off by just asking, why did you write this, this particular book? Uh, well, Philip, uh, the, there was not a, a, a reason. Uh, I mean, it's not that I told myself uh, I'm going to, to write a different book. Uh, it's just that uh, when you work with patients and when you are writing about uh, uh, something else, m- many very nice things, surprising uh, things can uh, happen ideas, little events, and it's a pity, I always thought that it's a pity that they are lost forever. And so in this book, I somehow write very little vignettes somehow, just just ideas um, very simple things, or sometimes also somehow uh, complicated or sophisticated um, things. But uh, there, there is always some passion in it. I mean, the the I'm always trying to, in the end, to understand uh, what is at the heart of our job, meaning what, what makes uh, us uh, uh, human. So I, I started to, to, to take uh, some notes, but n- not uh, absolutely in a systematic way. Here and then, from time to time, uh, without any any uh, pressure. But I have to say, with, with some with some uh, with some pleasure. Uh, and and then I, I thought that I might want to to share. Uh, and also, I, I felt somehow uh, a, a bit more uh, at liberty uh, than when you have to to write a classical uh, a classical paper. You have to be very no uh, 
within the rules, uh-huh. Uh-huh. very coherent, uh, and so on. So I call this, a, as you say, also, I, when I tell some colleagues, it should be give you some fun. I think of it as a funny, but on the other end, it's not funny at all. It is very, very serious because there is always behind some some very serious idea. I think that many, many in many entries, uh, I, I hope that there is a, a bit of originality. Uh, I, I imagine, I always imagine that uh, some colleagues might start uh, from this, uh, <laughs> and maybe uh, they could write something longer, starting from this small, uh, small ideas. Now we. Um, uh, yes, that that was more or less the, the start of it. Yeah, yeah. So, and it's a a kind of a dictionary. So we have another psychoanalytic dictionary, kind of, uh, with these series of short entries, alphabetical order. But you call it an apocryphal dictionary. Can you tell us why why that word is? Well, is in for, for, first of all, uh, I have to say that the. Original title, the title, the title in Italian, uh, it's not uh, an, apro- an apocryphal dictionary, uh, e- even if it was also one of the possible titles in Italian, but it is transpositions, huh? uh, which oh. is quite different, uh, more poetical, more philosophical also. There is a nice, uh, a nice uh, sentence by Nietzsche, huh? Uh, where he say, says that uh, we should be able to to transpose things into other other things, um, but th- that did not work. Uh, uh, it seems that it doesn't work in as a title in, in English, and so it became. But it's okay, an apocryphal dictionary. So apro- apocryphal, why? Because of course, uh, as you see, I do not follow the list of all the classical entries uh, uh-huh. that you can find in the La Planche Pontalise in the beautiful, one of the last beautiful dictionaries that were published is uh, Claude Legain. Very classical, but very good dictionary. Unfortunately, it is only in French for, for now uh, and, and several others. So this is one reason. It, it, it is uh, another reason is also that, of course, uh, uh, speaking from the point of view of the, as you said, the post-Bionian uh, field uh, theory, uh, I challenge many, many uh, classical and uh, achieved uh, uh, ideas uh, in a way also that I, I try to explain myself, but sometimes there are colleagues that uh, feel some frustration because uh, uh, they are not familiar, acquainted with, with them. Uh, but uh, I think that uh, uh, psychoanalysis, uh, we should keep psychoanalysis alive. And uh, somehow the discourse about the unconscious should always be somehow subversive, uh, as it was at the the start with, uh, with Freud. So that's why... Apocryphal, not official, not very, very personal somehow, very free. Yeah, and maybe um, I was thinking, since in some of your writings you talk about 
a, a paradigm shift and the new words and vocabulary and concepts that come with new paradigms. In some ways, could we see this as a introduction to a, a new vocabulary of um, somewhat new vocabulary of psychoanalysis? Uh, well, of course. I mean, our vocabulary always uh, changes. No, if you go uh, from Freud to Melanie Klein, it changes, and then Winnicott gives us uh, other um, other ideas and other concepts, and and so and so and so. So this is uh, we we need to every every time to to get new words because the the first the the old words somehow um become uh, become uh, uh, well I, I don't know how to say it, it in english uh, um Worn out. Say, yes something something like like that also become many concepts become Somehow stereotypes, no, they they lose their impact, they they are forced, and also because epistemology changes, the the world in which we live uh, changes, uh, and so and so. So with beyond there is a, a big a, a big change, kind of a a, a revolution. It's around ninety six sixty two. Uh, it was the same time in which Winnicott says said that there is not such a thing as a baby. No? So the, the, I, I'd, I'd call the, the big uh, shift, the big change of paradigm, uh, going from uh, a, uh, somehow the, the a Cartesian uh, view, to which still somehow uh, uh, Freud's uh, Holds uh, on to a radical, uh, real, uh, intersubjective uh, point of view, meaning the idea that really to to make a mind, uh, so to say, uh, another mind is uh, is needed, and we need to study what the qualities of this uh, other mind uh, should be. There is, and uh, as you know, with with Bion, we have a, a different uh, a concept actualization of the unconscious, of uh, affect, uh, of dream. So it, it is really a big, a big change. So when you speak with colleagues and uh, if we don't share these basic postulates, or at least if we do not know that uh, they are there, then it's very difficult to, to talk. Well, I thought maybe a good way to give people a flavor of this book would be to start reading some of the entries. Um, so people can kind of see what's what's in it. So I thought I'd start with I found there's an entry called Questions, and it and your entry says, while holding seminars and conferences around the world, I realized that often the questions that irritate are the most useful ones because they are either naive or provocative. Such questions puzzle and push you to think, or rather to slowly digest the little emotional catastrophe that they sometimes produced. One should always be grateful to those who have the courage to ask them. So I thought I'd start with that entry because um, it occurred to me, oh, maybe some of my questions are going to be naive or provocative, but really more to sort of focus on that little emotional catastrophes. Because in a way, reading through this book, what the reader gets... <laughs> a series of different kinds of emotional catastrophes. And I, I think that's a Bionian kind of idea too, the idea of emotional 
shocks, uh, conf- confrontations. Am I right about that? Yes, yes, Philip, I share uh, your view. Uh, my understanding of the concept of a catastrophe in BM uh, is that uh, it doesn't have necessarily a negative uh, a negative meaning. No, it's like a state of uh, of crisis. Uh, somehow to change, you need to go through a, a state of of crisis. It's not. Uh, a, there is no guarantee that you uh, that the the. Um, that you will get out of it in a, in, in a positive way, but uh, somehow, no, in in Bion's uh, uh, um, conceptualization of the concept of catastrophe, there is this uh, this possibility uh, of change. Uh, so yes, I experienced m- many times how somehow. Uh, irritating uh, some uh, some questions can can be, but also I, I felt that uh, uh, my own ideas, even if expressed with a lot of uh, sincerity and uh, and passion and uh, uh, real wish to 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 be uh, and effort to be understood, uh, could sound uh, irritating for other people that. Uh, uh, again, we're not uh, um, familiar with uh, with them. So I have to say that even uh, even if at the moment maybe it's difficult to to contain the emotional no, the, the, the catastrophe or little emotional uh, catastrophe, we, with time you, you go uh, again on it and you tell yourself, okay, you, you should be. Um, clearer on this, you should explain uh, better, you should understand better what you want to say. And uh, I just gave you an example before you asked this uh, question. When I said now, for example, every time I, I, I try to Every time to to make it clear that when we speak about uh, uh, beyond and uh, a different understanding, for example, of uh, dreaming, where dreaming comes kind of a, a synonym of thinking, again we should keep in mind that we are starting from different basic uh, postulates. So, not anymore, for example, the unconscious somehow uh, as a head, which was. Uh, uh, Freud's idea uh, uh, again in 1938 or something l- like that. So even the idea that is something that is encapsulated somehow in, in a subject, but uh, as Bion says, the unconscious uh, as a psychoanalytic function of personality, meaning kind of an apparatus for thinking and symbol and for symbolization. And then also in transformation, he uh, defined the unconscious as infinity. Uh, and of, we, we could go on. What kind of infinity does he have in mind? Is that linked to language? As I think, we go around uh, Lacan somehow, etc., etc. Uh, et uh, one of the entries uh, in the book is about one of those little catastrophes. I was in Vienna, and when I said at the start, uh, that uh, Bion in his uh, in his paper a theory of uh, of mind says that uh, he doesn't uh, he doesn't like somehow it's not convincing to him this distinction Freudian distinction between primary and secondary process uh, 
a colleague fr from the place got very very angry with me and somehow uh, I couldn't read my my paper because we engaged in a very difficult uh, um, difficult conversation uh, and then uh, during the pause he came to me and said well you know Giuseppe here in Vienna we are very attached to our Freud <laughs> so we, in the end we smiled and uh, and uh, the ne next meeting was much more went much much better <laughs> Well, I had a few little moments when I was irritated. There's some entries I, I never quite could get my head around, but so many of the entries moved me in, in more positive ways, very emotionally. And uh, I, I had to read the book very slowly and just like reading a couple entries. I think this at a time, this might be a good book for an analyst to keep by their chair you know, when you have a little bit of extra time between clients or something, just to pick it up and dip in, read a couple entries, and and meditate on them because they're they're very often short but quite profound. Um, so that was one one of my thoughts about the book. Um, let me read another uh, entry. This one is called Ambiguity, and then I'm also going to read the the entry immediately following. Okay, so the entry ambiguity. The word ambiguity is mostly used in its negative sense. Yet, William Impson's book on the seven types of ambiguity dates back to 1930. In it, ambiguity is defined as the possibility of simultaneously considering alternative views to interpret a text, avoiding pure and simple misunderstandings. But the ability to realize the ambiguity of all things in the world and to tolerate it is exactly what, according to Ogden, analysts strive to promote in their patients. Being able to see things according to the simultaneous multiplicity of angles that is proper to the unconscious makes us feel truer and more real. Then the very next entry is analysis via Skype, seeing yourself on top of the other and the other on top of yourself. <laughs> so these are the kind of entries that make me laugh. Um, uh, because uh, I had to sort of try to think about that one for a while, but I guess on a Skype, the screen is divided into different sections where you can see yourself and the and the patient. But yes, but but that entry kind of comments on the one above about ambiguity. So in a way, even though this is a dictionary and you wouldn't expect um, contiguous entries to necessarily comment on each other, they do at times, very many times in your book. Um, so this could be a book that is read in a more from beginning to end, but it, and there's connections, but it's also a book that could you could jump around in. Um, well, uh, the, my, my idea, Philip, was uh, precisely as as you, as you suggested that uh, my idea is that one should jump from uh, here to there. Uh, Ishi could just uh, read one uh, one entry, or maybe just uh, select the, the the kind of uh, entries uh, uh, that uh, they like, that they prefer. Maybe uh, there are many uh, short, and uh, I hope also. I'm using somehow nice uh, uh, clinical uh, clinical uh, vignette, uh, or even when, when there are not vignettes. For example, I discovered this page where 
Winnicott says, okay, let's read the, the, the letters that uh, Freud uh, used to, to send to his fiancée. And so in the end, we will know if uh, he was human or not. <laughs> and then he, he, he reads all, all the letters, and in the end, very seriously, he writes, okay, now we know that he was human. So you see, there, there, there are many of these entries. So uh, he... And sometimes also in the more uh, complex one, and I think one can find some pleasure. I, I never, I never uh, thought uh, that, uh, I never imagined that uh, someone would uh, read it uh, starting from A to, to Z. This is uh, uh, precisely the, the, the kind of book in which you create your own, uh, your own book. You, as uh, my friend Ogden would say, you, you will write a new book. You will read it, and you will write it again for for you. Uh huh. There's um one entry called thread, um, which is not an entry you would expect to find in a psychoanalytic dictionary, and it goes on for like five pages. It's probably the longest entry in the book. And excellent. I it helped me so much with a patient I saw yesterday, actually, because I just read it yesterday. It's followed by an entry transference, which is an entry you would expect to find in a psychoanalytic dictionary, but it's only like three lines, <laughs> five pages of thread. Um, that's the kind of humorous thing that happens in this book. Uh, I, I find that funny anyway. Um, yeah. By the way, me, yes. uh-huh. no, go ahead. if you read the transference, but also uh, I think that I speak of transference in a, in a, also in a, in a in a not in a in an apocryphal way because i'm i talk about a movie the the martian so so it's not completely in in the classical uh, yeah. way yeah uh, um let me read uh, Cinderella. That's an entry in this book. Um, and just uh, to remind the listeners, Cinderella, what she's wearing rags and scrubbing floors in the basement of her castle. And then I guess she meets, is there a fairy godmother? She transforms into a princess with a beautiful ball gown and glass slippers, goes to the ball, meets the prince. Um, and then when the clock strikes, strikes 12, she transforms back into her um uh, her ragged self. So I had to, anyway, let me read the entry. Cinderella, if the spectator did not know about the previous metamorphosis, he would think that it is when the carriage turns back into a pumpkin that Cinderella begins to hallucinate. From this, one can see the importance of context. There is no outside text, says Derrida. Okay. Yeah, very short, dense. Can you comment on that? Well, first of all, the, uh, you, you give me also the the the, the occasion to say that uh, I, I like to 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 read uh, to write <laughs> nice uh, lapsus uh, these uh, entries, even because the aphoristic uh, form gives you the possibility on one side not to say not wanting to say it all no? uh, you can be very concise you you can just you just suggest then the, the reader will have to not to to complete the somehow the the, the text the uh, the sentences at the same time being being short the the, the small pieces of of uh, of the text you have the possibility 
uh, a, a, a someone that is not a writer because we we mainly our work is with with patients to to um, to try to to work a bit more uh uh, the, the, to try to be to pay more attention to the quality of uh, of writing. Uh, by the way, this is precisely the, the example uh, of an entry where uh, no, there is a, a high reference uh, somehow to uh, to Derrida, which is quite a sophisticated philosopher. Where, uh, for whom uh, psychoanalysis, by the way, was very, very important at the heart of his uh, thinking. And some readers maybe will, will like this. But on, on the other end, there is just a, a fairy tale. No. And what is all about? It's about, uh, again, the, the context. The, the context is what you were talking before. No? When you said uh, these entries, I ordered them only according to the alphabetical order, but then when, when you read them uh, in the page, of course, they interact. Uh, uh, somehow there is this uh, après-coup or avant-coup uh, effect. And so a, a, new, a new text uh, comes out, and th- this is uh, very much uh, what happens continuously in, uh, in our clinical practice. And do you think um, somebody who doesn't know something about Bion and Bionian field theory? Could they come to this book and um, and grasp it? Or do you do you think it's you need to have some background before you can appreciate it? Well, I, I think that uh, it can be read at different at different levels. No. Uh, I think that uh, it can be it can be read uh, uh, by by colleagues that do not know anything about Bion, even if nowadays Bion should be uh, part of our common ground, no, like, like all the big uh, the big authors, uh, people that, that are more uh, acquainted with, with Bion might recognize uh, things and uh, ideas that uh, otherwise uh, you would not notice. But no, I, I don't think that uh, because yes, okay, beyond and field theory, but this is always within the, the great galaxy of the, the 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 new paradigm of psychoanalysis. We, we may say the intersubjective uh, relational, uh, uh, and so even if uh, even if somebody is not really. Uh, knowledgeable with with, uh, with beyond, but still, he mm, will recognize what the meaning is of the the adjective in the in the title, meaning uh, the apocryphal. Where is the no? The, why and what is the the new or different perspective that uh, I uh, I try to to give the reader. Yeah, I'm thinking maybe I, I read a paper yesterday by Grotstein, who is an author that you referenced. Some, he was um, a member of the institute that I belong to here in Los Angeles. But he talked about listening with the left hemisphere and the right hemisphere of the mind in one of his papers. And I think if somebody read your book, even if they didn't follow the logic or the rationality because they didn't know enough theory, they could still absorb a lot of the spirit of of field theory um, because of the, just the emotional literary kind of quality of the text that, that makes an impact on the reader. Um, uh, yes, so, I, I think that you're right. Yeah. 
Okay, so let me read something, another uh, sort of uh, un- amusing entry uh, that you might not expect to find. It's called Comics. Comics. <clears throat> and when I read your entry on comics, it reminded me of an entry or a passage I read from a, a teacher of the British Psychoanalytic Society named Ella Sharp. In 1930, she wrote an article about how to train um, for psychoanalysis. And, and she said, to prepare for qualification as a psychoanalyst, I would make compulsory the following books. Um, and then she, she mentions all these English classics um, from the 19th century mostly, but uh, Br'er Rabbit books and Greek myths and tragedies, Shakespeare's plays, I guess that's not 19th century. But <clears throat> And then she said her final examination for a candidate for to become a psychoanalyst would she would ask them to give briefly the story of the three blind mice. If the mice were blind, how came the, they to run after the fa- farmer's wife so purposefully? She goes on to talk to want you know us to understand the three blind mice. Anyway, I thought that was so funny when I read that in training. Um, and then I came across your entry in this book, which says, Comics, to get the qualification to practice, an analyst should demonstrate a knowledge of, in order of relevance, at least Calvin and Hobbes, B.C., and the Fusco brothers. After these, you could have Zero Calcare, Dastardly and Muttley, Professor Balthazar, and Colt. At one point or another, they all come in handy in my clinical work to talk to the patient in a simple manner and not in a cold or abstract way. So, comics, important for an analyst. Um, would you like to comment on that? That one made me laugh. Uh, yes. Well, first of, first of all, I, I noticed, Philip, that you did not uh, write uh, Peanuts, uh, because Peanuts in my, in my entry was the first of the list. And the oh, most did I miss that? One. Yes. I don't know what meaning that. <laughs> we are psychoanalysts after, after all. But to me, uh, peanuts means my not only my infancy, but because I still read it and enjoy it. To me, it's like poetry. So something very, very, very personal that it is very much in the landscape of my imaginary, so to say. And there's a constant reference in many moments in my private life or with, with patients, it comes to, to my mind. Uh, also, uh, cult. Cult. Yeah, I just read a, a, a book so many years ago. I don't even remember who the, the author is, and it was so so funny. There were all always those that uh, went to attack the, the small fort, and the people in the fort uh, all the time say, "Oh, not today, not today. Our flag is at the laundry. Come tomorrow." <laughs> so you see, the, the important thing is that. Or I give an example. The, there is an entry. Uh, medal that is uh, inspired to Dastardly and uh, Matley. So I think that the, the, the important thing is that you, uh, when the context again is appropriate, of course, you, you, you play with, with, with the patient, you, you try to reformulate what the problem is with, uh, with metaphors. Uh, a metaphor is like a little portable dream that, that you give. Now you, you can always go back to, to a metaphor and always you find some, something new. Eh? 
uh, is, is much better than any kind of rational, smart uh, explanations. Uh, I did read some, some years ago Ella Sharp's uh, book on, um, on the theory of, of, of dreams, and I liked uh, her very much because I think that we share this uh, idea that somehow poetry is important, that uh, poetry is uh, so close to dreaming and, and vice versa. I did not know the, this... Uh, this um, the the text that you you quote because otherwise maybe I would have uh, mentioned it. I I noticed uh, comparing it with mines that somehow they are um, more dramatic. <laughs> this mines being killed, uh, uh, cutting the, the tails. Uh, maybe I don't know. I a bit lighter, but it's good. I, I like very much. Ella Sharps and uh, about myths and tragedies and Shakespeare, of course. L- last week, I spent a couple of uh, uh, sessions talking with a patient of mine about the figure of Calypso. Calypso I don't know, it is in English, in, uh, in uh, Ulysses uh, uh, by Homer, Homer uh, and the differences with Penelope and uh, uh, Church. But of course, w- we were negotiating our own analytic field, our own uh, relationship no? um, through, through this, uh, these uh, narratives. Another last meaning that uh, what is important to me, why did I write this? Because an important message between the lines is that I don't like any kind of rigidity or of bigotry. And uh, we have to say that uh, there is some, more than some, in our uh, psychoanalytic uh, institutions. This idea of somehow superiority or being uh, uh, authoritative, uh, um, like the ones that seem to know what the truth is, uh, or they very easily uh, come to a kind of pedagogical attitude with with patients. This is not my, 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 my stuff. Yeah, well, I think it it shows us something, too, about how Ella Sharp was kind of referencing these English classics, um, the canon, to kind of play off of the canonical literature versus the apocryphal literature, Um, whereas you're sticking with uh, a more popular level of of literature, these comics. And in fact, throughout the book, there's so many references to popular literature and films and novels and art exhibitions and museums. There's, it just goes on and on. There's, and I thought that connected to the idea of the infinite and beyond that wherever you are, whichever culture, you can draw from that culture, all parts of the worlds, um, to bring it to uh, work with, with our clients. Um, you said too in one entry something about you should speak to your clients like you're talking to a friend in a bar. I think that was in this book, unless I'm. Do, yes. Hmm. Uh, yeah, unless yeah, I I really liked that. So I've tried to do that more recently. Just use that simple language. Let me yes. um, go ahead. Hmm. No, 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 no. Go ahead. Yeah. Okay, I was going to say I'll read another entry. This one, um, uh, field one. I guess you actually have three different entries on field. This is the first one in psychoanalysis. It indicates a multidimensional spatiality that is created between patient and analyst as the intersection of the respective bundles of projective identification. It is a virtual or a fictional space. 
Attracted in the game of its forces, any object is transformed into an unknown or in a preconception and acquires the character of a dream element. The field concept serves to intensify not only abstract or intellectual knowledge, but experiential knowledge of the facts of an analysis. As a dream, the analytic field is a place where the body is given back to the mind and where the mind can resettle in the body. So that's an example of an entry that I, I spent a good amount of time sort of thinking about and feeling <laughs> into. It's a, do you want to comment on that one? Yeah, well, first of all, it's nice that you uh, uh, gave an idea to the to the people who are listening to us of what a very different kind of entry can be if compared with the one about about comics. So, yes, this is something that I'm told from time to time, that that sometimes I I write with a style that it's a bit... Different uh, dance, yes, and I, I, I keep trying to to do better, but <laughs> sometimes I, uh, I say, okay, this is how I, I am. On one side, they can be very, very simple and uh, no, uh, bar talking, and sometimes also. Um, I, I, well, I, we shouldn't think that uh, systematically. Uh, um, well, there are things that uh, can only be said uh, somehow in a sophisticated way, in a in a difficult way. Now, otherwise, we would uh, draw out of the window so many incredibly beautiful uh, books of. Uh, the last uh, century, for example, in philosophy, but also in uh, in psychoanalysis. Anyway, what, what I want to say about what, what is field? Field basically is a metaphor. Uh, what is the? Why is it useful? Because it gives us an idea that, uh, uh, in our opinion, there is always, no matter what is the the content of the analytic discourse, there is always active uh, a in unconscious uh, communication between a patient and uh, and analyst, we cannot stop there. And this unconscious, unconscious communication, we cannot control it. So it becomes kind of a third mind. Uh, that's why the, the metaphor of the field, it's a, like a gestalt figure. No? The, its functioning is more than the the sum of the single elements that uh, uh, constitute it. So we need to to try to catch this uh, radically intersubjective, unconscious uh, um, dimension. This is the symmetric moment. So what does it mean? That uh, when you listen to a patient or even to yourself, because you are a place in this field, no matter what is said, but virtually, virtually allowing yourself to, to go from immersion to interaction somehow, from asymmetrical to symmetrical moment while you are listening, but virtually everything could be kind of an hologram or a figure or a character, something that is created by this shared 
unconscious uh, uh, communication. Why is that, is that important? Because under the narratives, there are emotions. So maybe it's easier to try to intuit what, what is the air that uh, at a certain point patient and analyst are breathing. If it is intoxicated, if it needs to be changed, transformed in some way or not. In another uh, another point is that uh, it is uh, every time the analyst rediscovers somehow, no, uh, Flaubert, like Flaubert said, Madame Bovary Semois, meaning that uh, he is always somehow deeply unconsciously participating in determining what the so-called facts of the analysis are. And this very much easily, much more easily, I think, allows the analyst to understand, to try to understand, not only intellectually, but also with his or her own body, with, with emotions. Why? Because, because you are there, because you are directly uh, concerned. So there are, there are a lot of people that object to us that we neglect the reality of the trauma, the, the, the subjectivity, and the story of the patient. This is absurd to, to my eyes because, first of all, a trauma, real trauma is not the narrative about trauma in the, in the session. Secondly, because mostly this is an understanding that remains in the analyst's mind. With the patient, you talk and you should uh, humanly about uh, what the uh, facts of, of uh, his or her story uh, are. And the third point is that people that move this objection, they should explain why certain things they, they interpret as pertaining to the unconscious communication and something remain completely uh, st uh, stuck to, uh, to, to reality. Uh, my fear is that uh, all this talk that, that is so common nowadays on trauma in psychoanalysis is pushing us before Freud, uh, because we know that Freud started with a critique of the idea of uh, factual uh, uh, trauma. But we should differentiate. The trauma is one thing, but the, the point is in the session, when we, we are thinking about uh, reality or concrete facts, why now? What is the unconscious meaning? So field theory is very much Freudian in this respect, because really we put at the center of it in a radical way what? The unconscious and the dreaming. So there is nothing more Freudian or psychoanalytic than that. Yeah, thank you. That was a really lovely kind of little mini discourse on field theory and how it begins to impact how we, we work with patients. I want to read um, another very short entry called intermediarity, which is a, a word I'd never come across uh, in my psychoanalytic reading, but um, now it's in the dictionary. Um, mm -hmm. Intermediarity. Psychoanalysis belongs to the intermediate world. This essential truth is expressed in various concepts, transference, Freud, transitional space, Winnicott, something between, Beyond, the intersubjective analytic third, Ogden, the analytic field, Pharaoh. I just thought it was nice how you linked all those major psychoanalytic writers, and they're all dealing with the intermediate. And... Uh, 
Yeah, very nice. Well, the, the, in the, I think that uh, in the end, all those uh, concepts uh, try to understand what the the the, the unconscious uh, and the psychic reality. Uh, uh, and the meeting of minds. Uh, so they, they all they all try to to catch uh, to try to understand what is really the the, the core of uh, of humanity. What does it mean that we we have a mind? But they do this uh, uh, having different a different understanding of the uh, unconscious, uh, a, a different understanding of the the process of. Uh, of um, analysis, uh, a different understanding of the extension, as I, I just said before, of this unconscious communication that uh, is going on all, all the time um, during the uh, analytic uh, during the analytic session. Um, I don't know if that is uh, clear enough, Philip, but. Uh, yeah, I thought that was a helpful entry and just kind of feeling into something we're doing that's common to all the different schools. And um, yeah, yes, I also try to to find somehow a a, a common uh, a, a common ground. No? Uh huh. Yeah, we're nearing the end of our time, and so I, I'm not going to read a couple other entries I wanted to read, but maybe I'll just finish with a couple questions, and you can respond to them um which are what was your process in putting this together do you carry around a little spiral notebook and you were making kind of notes and ideas when something came to mind um and then also is there anything else you want to say about this book before we we wrap up uh, the, the the first question yes uh, uh, i i keep a, a notebook uh, on my table. So as you suggested before, maybe during a, a, a pause uh, between a patient and another patient, but also sometimes while, while I am um, reading or writing something and uh, a, an idea that does not fit in the main frame at the moment uh, that is marginal but uh, intriguing, I just put it put it down, and then from time to time, then I, I put it in a in a file on on my Mac. So very much, it's a notebook uh, work. By the way, I I like a few of them very much. So even there is also this part of some aesthetics, so, so to say, uh, no, uh, there is a, a beautiful, uh, a beautiful uh, uh, German uh, notebook, which is called uh, Notizbuch, Bindwerk Notizbuch, that I love, or uh, there are the, uh, the notebook from the Midori house fr from Japan that are beautiful. This is to mean, to, to say that I also like uh, this part of uh, of writing i mean all the mm, tricky things that you can find in a stationary uh, shop uh, and so on uh, about the book i i, I don't know what to say my, my, just a hope I, i'd hope that um, people uh, who, who read it i hope that some of them will, <laughs> will read it 
find it uh, find it alive that uh, they find the, the the trace of a great love for psychoanalysis and a great uh, passion and uh, this um, how gratifying it can be. This is also something that I'm trying to transmit. How gratifying it can be to to allow yourself this uh, some wild thoughts and uh, to practice this exercise of uh, uh, transpositions, which is not something that you decide to do, but uh, it has more to do with being receptive to to idea that. Uh, that can flow uh, at a certain point in uh, in your mind. Well, thank you very much for this this book that I think a lot of people are going to really enjoy reading and, and is going to en- enrich their their thinking and practice as a psychoanalyst. and And thank you for this interview too, because I think it's going to be really interesting for people who don't who know your name, but maybe they've never read you or heard you speak. They're going to get a chance to get to know you a little bit through this podcast. Thank you very much, uh, uh, Philip. Uh, of course, uh, I, I hope uh, a listener will, will pardon my my pronunciation, which is, <laughs> of course, an Italian English. Thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> You're very welcome. So um, you've been listening to an interview with Giuseppe Civitarese about his book, An Apocryphal Dictionary of Psychoanalysis, here at the New Books and Psychoanalysis channel, which is a podcast channel of the New Books Network. Please check out our website, where you can subscribe with your email address, and never miss an episode. Thanks for listening.